Good morning. Look at all these faces, my goodness. Um, as you've heard, I'm Morag, and I have been part of the Vineyard Church's tribe for some time now in various parts of the country, and here in St. Andrews for about 10 years. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. Um, it is good to see so many new faces. Um, I chatted to a couple earlier, but if you want to come and say hello over coffee later, that would be lovely. Um, we hope you enjoy your time here, and maybe you might think about making this your home church for your time in Sanders. That would be lovely. Uh, we kind of like it, so if you want to stick around, that would be great. I'm continuing our sermon series in the book of Luke at the moment, and we've been looking at the time of Jesus' public ministry. Last week, Jim spoke to us about Jesus' authority over the natural world in calming the storm and over evil powers freeing an oppressed man by casting demons into a herd of pigs. And as Jim said, if you've missed any talks or you're just curious, head to the website and you can get all the recordings. Anyway, today we are continuing with the recurring theme of Jesus's kingdom authority. That is the way he demonstrates the coming of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God as he calls it. This week repeats the authority we have already seen that he has, the authority over sickness and death. But I think with an interesting twist. So let's get to the passage, which is Luke chapter 8, verses 40 to 56. You can turn to it in your Bibles or Bible devices. It'll also be on the screen as well. And normally, Jim would say at this point, I've got this good friend of mine to come up and read the scriptures for us. Um, but I have to say, I have just got to know this person in my home group. So I'm going to say, I'm going to ask my potentially good friend, Maddie, to come and read the passage for us, Maddie. All right, so this is Luke 8, 40 to 56. Now, when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out of me. Then the woman, seeing that she couldn't go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told him why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, 
He did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Thank you so much, Maddie. Thank you. So we have two very intertwined stories this morning, which I kind of will tackle separately after just taking a brief moment to highlight the very female focus of these two stories. A woman on the edge of society due to a medical problem and an only child, a girl. We have seen throughout our journey in Luke the inclusion and highlighting of Jesus's interactions with women. This morning, let's start with the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. I think just about every time I talk here, I give you a little insight into our preaching team meetings. And today is no different. (laughs) Except that today, my fellow preachers may have had no inkling of the inner monologue that was happening with me as we discussed this passage. The usual was happening. I was reluctant to talk in this passage and was persuaded. This time, I think, generally nothing more than to do with scheduling and uh, dates and availability. However, my inner monologue was a bit more personal and intimate and something I was not comfortable with sharing with the team at the time. The passage and the plight of the bleeding woman is a bit too close to home. And the reason I'm sharing this now is I think I'm not alone. Unfortunately, this scenario is not uncommon for women. I don't suffer badly with bleeding, but I am at a particular age when hormone levels can cause all sorts of problems. I do have a good friend who at times has described her experience with bleeding to me as Mo. It looks like a crime scene. I have friends of all ages and stages who have variously suffered from fibroids, polycystic ovary syndrome, endometriosis, and the effects of menopause or perimenopause. In the passage, we are told that no one could heal this woman. In other versions, it says that she had spent all her money on doctors and no one could help. Again, I wish I could tell you that was historical experience and that we understand so much more medically now. But these friends I've mentioned, for many, it has taken years to be taken seriously by doctors or to get a diagnosis or treatment. And we don't talk about it. We're taught to hide. It is a source of embarrassment and shame, still. And here I am, talking about it in church. And there may be some of you who are finding this uncomfortable. But what I realized as I took my embarrassment about having to address this to God is that this incident is recorded by Luke 
for a reason and included in scripture for a reason. I'm a middle-aged woman, 48 years old for the record, facing changes in life, not to mention the change. Changes to my reproductive-related health. And to be honest, sometimes I struggle with being seen. You can feel invisible to society and feel like somehow your usefulness is diminished. But do you know what? Our scriptures have a recorded encounter with a woman who felt like that. She may have been a middle-aged woman facing menopause. She may have been a young woman with reproductive health issues. We don't know. But she was embarrassed and ashamed and had to go through life unseen until she encountered Jesus. Interestingly, she still tries to hide even though her bleeding stops. It can be a hard habit to break and there might be other reasons for her still to want to hide but we'll come to that later. But Jesus insists on bringing her out into the open. He makes sure that this woman is seen. He particularly makes sure he sees her and acknowledges her. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad that I know and I'm loved by a God who includes this story in his scriptures. And I hope that me sharing this this morning helps someone or some people to feel understood and seen. But there's even more to it than that. This is a very particular healing and a particular show of Jesus' authority. The nature of this woman's illness means that she has been unclean for 12 years. Under the Levitical laws, the Old Testament laws, a woman with ongoing bleeding and, um, and anything she touched as well was classed as unclean. In Leviticus 15 verses 25 to 30, actually it's not, it's just 25 to 27. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than her monthly period or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean until evening. Being unclean in this context means that the woman would not have been able to participate participate in normal daily life for fear of contaminating things and people around her. And not to mention, she would be unable to participate in any Jewish religious observances. I have to confess to not of having the time to research how much of the Levitical laws were still observed in Jesus' time, 
but reading the New Testament, you can see how much time and effort the various religious factions spend making sure distinctions were made between those who were in and those who were out. And also the fact that later in Luke volume two, book of Acts, Peter is given a vision from God specifically to tell him not to call anything unclean that God has made clean. So I'm assuming at the time, the idea of uncleanness and its consequences was very much in operation. The woman. I can't keep calling her the woman. I'm just going to, I'm going to give her a name. We don't know her name, but I'm going to call her Sarah. Sarah was taking a huge risk being out in public and especially in a crowd where she was highly likely to contaminate other people. If she remained anonymous, then anybody she touched or touched her would never know. But Jesus doesn't give her that option. In some ways, it seems a bit cruel to insist that she come forward. But Jesus insists that he knows that someone has touched him and that power has gone out from him. That seems quite odd, and the disciples are rightly confused. You're in the middle of a crowd. Loads of people will have touched you. The disciples and the crowd have seen Jesus heal people before. He has demonstrated his authority over sickness. He is healed with just a word. But in this case, touch was important. In the proper order of things, Sarah touching Jesus would make him unclean. In the kingdom, however, Sarah touching Jesus makes her clean. The contamination flows in the opposite direction. Instead of Sarah contaminating Jesus with her uncleanness, Jesus contaminates her with his cleanness. The good power goes from him to her. This is not just a healing This is a cleansing. It was important that Jesus demonstrates to all those who may have touched Sarah in the crowd that she has not only been healed, but that she is clean. If Jesus has not been affected by Sarah touching him, then anyone else who she has touched will not be affected either. Just this morning when I was rereading that bit, I was reminded, I don't know if some of you are probably not old enough to remember Princess Di touching AIDS patients in the late 80s and early 90s, and it broke taboos. It was a demonstration that she was not affected, so nobody else was going to be affected. This demonstration by Jesus, I think, is similar, with a lot more power behind it. Jesus affirms her faith and her healing and lets her go with a blessing. He doesn't use the exact words, but I feel that Jesus' actions pretty much declare, as he did to Peter through his vision, don't call anything unclean that I have made clean. This new aspect of Jesus' authority that Luke highlights for us is not simply the power to heal, but also to cleanse, to reintegrate to society, and to draw back to God, 
those previously excluded. Let's move on and take a look at the other entwined story. A quick reminder. Jairus, a leader in the synagogue, has come to beg Jesus to come and heal his daughter. In various translations, she is either an only child or an only daughter. In any event, she is a precious and loved child. And Jairus has no second thoughts about approaching Jesus on behalf of his daughter, despite the fact that others in this society may have thought that as a girl, this child would not be worthy of Jesus' attention. On the way, we have the delay as Sarah is cleansed and healed. And it seems that during this time, the child passes away. And Jairus is told not to bother Jesus any further. Jesus, unperturbed, carries on, declaring that the girl is not dead, but only sleeping. Jesus takes Peter, James and John and the girl's parents and takes that wee girl by the hand and she comes back to life. For some reason, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what's happened. Does he want everyone to somehow believe that she was just sleeping and now she's healed? I don't know. I have a theory and I'll share it with you and you can take it or leave it. I think it bears out what I know about Jesus, but this is just my theory. Jesus has already raised a widow's son very publicly in the middle of the funeral. That was back in Luke chapter 7. So he's not shy about raising the dead. I think this is about the needs of the family. The widow needed her son. She needed a man of the house to maintain her standing in society and to be financially secure. She needed everyone to see her son alive. Jairus' daughter doesn't need the publicity. I think it was probably better that the little girl got to have as normal a life as possible. Jairus and his family needed privacy. My only evidence for that is I think Jesus is pretty good at dealing with people in the way that is best for them whether they know it or not. For Jesus, this is the second time in a very short period that he has either by accident or deliberately been put into the position of becoming unclean. The Levitical laws, again, have quite a bit to say about touching dead bodies. There would have to be a period of separation and ritual cleansing after touching a dead body or someone or something that had touched a dead body. But again, Jesus comes from the encounter unscathed. If we can put ourselves in the position of those hearing about Jesus, either present in the crowd or hearing Luke's gospel for the first time, this is incredible. This is taboo-busting, paradigm-shifting information. So far in his public ministry, Jesus has demonstrated authority over sickness, death, and nature, has the authority to forgive sins, and instead of being contaminated by impurity, he makes the impure clean. This is different. This is the kingdom of God. 
Luke has been leading us through one story after another, showing us who Jesus really is and what the kingdom looks like. And we'll continue on that theme as we continue looking at Jesus' mission while he was physically present on earth. The thing is that what Luke tells us about Jesus and the kingdom still holds. He is, as scripture tells us, the same yesterday, today, and forever. To bring us into land, I'm going to share some final thoughts on the message of this passage for us to take away with us today. And I'm unashamedly borrowing these from Tom Wright. Jesus shares the pollution of sickness and death. But the power of his own love turns that pollution into wholeness and hope. This is the message that Luke would repeat to us today. In whatever problem or suffering we face, the presence of Jesus getting his hands dirty with the problems of the world is what we need and what in the gospel we are promised. We find Jesus quietly coming alongside us in our own muddle and fear. He welcomes our trembling touch and responds with that central biblical command, don't be afraid. Jesus quietly comes alongside us in our muddles and our mess. But instead of our mess contaminating him, his love makes us clean. There is not a place too dark or a problem too big or a mess too much that Jesus can't reach with his love. Why don't you stand if you're able and we'll pray. We'll just take a couple of moments just to see what the Lord wants to do. We'll move into our time of response and prayer ministry. I don't want to um, leave today without giving an opportunity. Um, if anything that I have said has struck a chord, um, especially with us women, who might have anything to do with reproductive health issues. God is there and he sees you and he wants to come alongside you and healing is available. So this is a safe place. We have women, play, pray with women and men with men. You can say as much or as little as you want but people from our home groups who have been trained and who know how to pray respectfully and lovingly will come alongside you and just lift you up to God. So if that is you, please do come forward for prayer this morning. As I say, it's up to you how much or how little you want to say and share about that. But we want to make that. And also, just to say again, there is nothing that you've done or a mess that you've made that 
Jesus can't come into and cleanse and put right and set you back on the right track. So again, if that's something that you feel chimes with you, please do come forward again for prayer. So I'll just pray and then just start to come forward as you're ready. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that your authority extends to healing and cleansing, to lifting us up out of our mess and setting us back on the right track with you. I thank you, Lord, that you see us and you love us. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen.